0: listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon. Serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. All right, hey, Chris, coming in on New Year's Day. That's what I call dedication. You know I had to come in. I had a little bit too much champagne last night. I'm just glad to see 2020 in the rear view. What did you do for New Year's Eve? Bro, come on, man. I'm a single good-looking dude. Not to mention, I didn't have to wake up early this morning for work or anything. So I did what anyone else in my status would do. I updated my password. What did you update it to? Password 2021, but don't tell anybody. Oh, dude, we need to talk. You should know better. Nah, I'm just joking. You know I'd never do that. Did you watch the countdown last night? Yeah, but I refused to pay the ransom. Good for you. You know that's going to be illegal soon, right? Yeah, as it should be. Well, new year, new drink. What you got for me? Man, I'm taking it back. Thomas classic. We're just doing a Manhattan. Two ounces of bourbon. One ounce of sweet vermouth. One to two dashes of orange bitters. Make sure that you stir it in a well-chilled glass before straining it into your favorite rocks glass. Garnish with a brandy-flavored cherry. Dude, that's a great drink. You always deliver on legit drinks. You've never dropped the ball once. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Well, look, man, let's raise our glasses. Here's the barcode and the quest to improve cybersecurity each and every day. I'll drink to that. Hey, my man, I got to run. My buddy just pulled up at the bar and I need to get his take on some things. All right, man. Well, I'll see you next time. Today, I'm with Ron Gula, president of Gula Tech Adventures, or GTA, which is a firm focused on investing in companies and nonprofits that help close the gap in needed technology and workforce to defend the country in cyberspace. Ron is known as a cybersecurity visionary, innovator, and engineer of extraordinary talent. He also co-founded Tenable, developed Dragon, which potentially is the first IDS to ever exist, ran risk mitigation for the first cloud company, deployed honeypots in the mid-90s for the DoD, and was a pen tester for the NSA. Ron, thanks for joining me.
1: Hey, uh, thanks for the opportunity. And I don't think Dragon was the first intrusion detection system. There are definitely a lot of folks who came before what we did there. We were definitely the first one on Linux that people could edit signatures with, though. That was, that was a big innovation there.
0: Nice. Definitely groundbreaking, at least uh, in that space at the
1: time. Yeah, at the time, everybody was using uh, Windows, and and the time, just for folks who were listening, you know, late 90s, early 2000, right? This was before VMs, before, you know, uh, Ubuntu. This was before many, many, many things. We were on very, very old versions of Linux, and people were tired of working with Solaris and other of these high-end, uh, uh, you know, Unixes out there. And, man, it was just the great, right place at the right time, and uh, we helped a lot of people protect their networks. Now, did you have a
0: programming background going into that, or was this just spawned off of an idea that you had? I'm
1: a I'm a very poor programmer. I, I understand <laughs> algorithms and and how things work, and I'm, a, I'm much more of an engineer. So I can usually understand what needs to be done. Um, I did program a good bit of uh, what was in uh, you know Dragon. And I got some smarter people to help me out, though. And uh, same thing as Tenable. I mean, I, I did some of the first initial user interfaces and web things. We got rid of that pretty quickly going, going down the road as we scaled up. But um, I think everybody should code to some extent so they can understand how things work. And the big problem we have today is people don't understand how things work. If you don't know how things work, you don't know how to protect it. You don't know how to use it. You don't know what to do next. Uh, we need to have more of that. Agreed. And we're all familiar with Tenable. I mean,
0: congratulations, by the way, on the continued success of that solution.
1: That's uh, Tenable's biggest claim, uh, I think, or mark on the industry is that we just kept up with technology. You know, if we had just stuck with basically, you know, Windows and Linux and network scans and didn't do web and didn't do mobile and didn't do cloud, didn't do virtualization and didn't do Amazon, it just goes on and on and on. That's what you need to do as a cybersecurity company. You need to like pay attention to the tech that's out there and, and and be very relevant to your customers. So the
0: word tenable is not a word that I hear every day. I'm curious to know who came up with that name for the solution.
1: I, I'm going to give credit to, so we have two co-founders. Uh, we have Jack Hufford and uh, Renaud Uh My wife, Cindy, was employee number one. We wanted to avoid the, the husband and wife sort of connotation publicly there, but I believe... It was Jack. Jack certainly was the one who got the tenable domain name because when we originally started, it was uh, tenablesecurity.com, and we were playing around with different brands and and different uh, different names. But uh, tenable means obtainable and defendable. And if you think about cybersecurity, you know I, we, we all talk about like the patching cycle or you know you, it's like laundry, right? You know it's never it's never done. It's 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 this infinite process. But tenable is you know can you run a network and to a certain point and make it, you know, defendable? Um, so that's a very apt name. You know, it was it service was, uh, very well and continues to serve the, the company well today.
0: It fits for sure. When you started working on Tenable, did you expect it to be this successful?
1: Uh, we certainly didn't start off with the sense that we're going to go public, you know, after after 16 years and, and uh, actually a little bit longer than that. But, you know, this was our second Company, so we had, you know, sold the first company. Uh, the dragon company is called Network Security Wizards. That that changed our life. You know, we didn't really have to work, and we had the luxury of, you know, being able to really be purposeful about uh, starting the next company. And we always ran it to be opportunistic, uh, which which goes against some of my advice for startups. I tell I tell a lot of startups you should be really goal oriented. But, you know, the Tenable story was much more about creating opportunity, creating value for not only the founders, but but the customers. I mean, every year we thought we might've been acquired because we were the exact kind of company that uh, that was good, but we were growing so fast. We just, it was, it was such a good decision to, to just keep investing in the company and the people and, and uh, support the customers.
0: So I guess that would lead into my next question is, and you touched on this a little bit, what advice would you give young tech entrepreneurs with nothing more than an idea to help them stay motivated and focused
1: yeah so i've got a lot of content on this we try to spend a lot of time with with entrepreneurs but i really tell people you know i want to know five things i if if you can describe the problem you solve the second thing is how you solve that problem and the third thing is if you got some proof if if you've got some some reason for for, for thinking you can do this first, the problem and how you solve it. And then if you're asking for help, like perhaps as an investment or perhaps, you know, from a customer, you know, what what, what do you want? Like, what do you need to succeed? And a lot of times if it's fundraising, it's, it's uh, you know, what are you gonna do with the money? You're gonna hire salespeople, invest in tech. But then the last thing is what's the vision of success? And And a lot of times we talk to entrepreneurs who can't answer any of these questions. You might have a brilliant founder who's, Knows that they can make um, I don't know like a, a cryptographic algorithm that's unbreakable. They can maybe do a, a higher speed pattern matcher, but they have no sense of what problem they're solving in, in, in the aspect of customers. Or maybe they've got a great company, but they don't have any sense of what exit looks like. If and, and if you don't have a sense of an exit or what success or what your impact on society is, that means somebody else is going to do it for you, and you're always going to be playing. Well, is this enough? Or what do I want? So, uh, if if you can answer all those five questions, you should think about starting a company and 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 sticking with it.
0: Cool. You have to prove value, right? And it sounds like an idea isn't enough. You need to also have those people around you to help drive that vision.
1: Yeah, and I like to see people who have personal experience in these in these problems. I mean, there's a lot of great companies where. You know, once you've been a CEO, once you can help a completely different company with guidance and vision. Because at some at some level, we have to all recruit, advertise, hire, pay taxes. You know, ship products and whatnot. Uh, so there's certain some muscle memory of just being a successful you know executive and entrepreneur. But one of the things I really like to see in cybersecurity is some sort of experience. And you know, maybe you were an offensive hacker for the CIA, and now you're going to help you know doctors protect data you know at the patient data at hospitals. You know, maybe that's relevant, especially if you were hacking into hospitals, you know, but maybe some of your experience is not relevant. You know, if you're a consultant for, for PCI uh, and you've been doing a lot of credit card, you know, e-commerce work, um, that might have exposed you to something like, you know, cloud architectures, you know, with Amazon and Google and containers, and maybe it is relevant. So so the, the point is, if you've got a passion for something and you're, you've got experience and you can see these problems firsthand, you're probably in a great place to come up with that next great idea.
0: Sure. So you've been in the cybersecurity game for a long time. If you could only use one word to describe the current state of cybersecurity, what would it be? Failing. Could you explain
1: why? So we have failed uh, multiple things. So, for example, and, and maybe it's an accurate assessment, but you know, so voting. You know, we can put a man on the moon. We can put. Uh, we can build dams. We can. I mean, I bought something on Amazon yesterday, and it showed up at my door the same day, right? But when it comes to something super critical like um, voting, for example, the entire cybersecurity industry is like, "Yeah, paper ballots—you can't, you can't secure this stuff. It's too, uh, it's too." So I, I, kind of feel like that's a failure, and it's sort of like you know, we can fly the president around on an airplane, we can fly ourselves around on airplanes, and we accept that risk. But you know, when it comes to cyber, as an as an industry, we're sort of like, "Yeah, no." And then uh, you look at something like Solar Winds. I mean, we're recording this and at the end of 2020, uh, you know, in December, and this is like the second week of the SolarWinds event. You basically have somebody who hacked into a cybersecurity vendor. I mean, Solar Winds is a is a you know they do they do uh, IT work or they do security work, and use that to hack other people. I mean, this is something that the industry's been talking about. So if we fail detecting that, or we fail maybe uh, you know uh, educating the public about that, then it's, again, it's, it's, it's failure. We have a much, much, much longer way to go. And I still have hope. You know, I'm still very committed. I'm still very positive, but, but we've been failing people.
0: I commend you for, for recognizing that and and hopefully point everyone that's listening here in the right direction. So in 20 years from now, when you talk to your grandkids about 2020,
1: how will you describe it? It's going to be interesting because obviously you can't talk about 2020 without talking about covid working from home uh you can't ignore the racial tension you can't ignore the election and and now you can't ignore it's not even just racial tension it was the the tension between you know red and blue liberals and conservatives but you you know the dramatic economic impact that's that's not i mean our favorite restaurants are like you know closing down people we know are dying Yet you know most people are kind of living a very comfortable life. If you're if you're at least a little bit well off, your COVID's not probably that big of a deal. I mean, and and so it's going to be this weird reflection of what are the memories we get from uh, from from this time period. For kids though, who are in school, it's going to be much more impactful. I mean, if you missed your senior year of high school football, uh, I mean that's nothing compared to losing a parent. But the vast majority of people have have these social uh, and psychological impacts. I think I think the 2020 story for 20 years from now is going to be this this sort of mishmash of all those things I talked about.
0: I agree, and I'm curious to know, leading up to this point, how has COVID affected you professionally, and has it disrupted your workflow?
1: So one, I, when uh, when Cindy and I, Cindy's my wife, um, you know, when when we left Tenable, we started working from home immediately, so we didn't have to go through the sort of psychological and and uh, you know emotional switch of working working at at home that a lot of people did at the beginning of the covid crisis um, but for you know what does a venture capitalist do what does somebody who tries to be you know useful to politicians do in, in in cybersecurity and 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 nonprofits we we have to go and meet these people well once you remove the physical need to kind of be present you could do a lot more meetings and, you know, so we spent uh, a lot of time during COVID, you know, doing doing Zooms and, you know, we got to meet people a lot that we never met in person. And uh, this was a very, very easy thing for us to kind of adapt to because, you know, we're we're pretty easy as far as when it comes to meeting people, understanding we know the questions to ask. I mean, we've got a great network of other venture capitalists and, and uh, donating organizations so we can do, Due diligence, you know, pretty uh, you know, pre- pretty quickly, and then as far as cyber security companies go, does COVID move things along quite a bit? I mean, some companies, you know, did uh, did have an impact. Certain you know industries like travel, recreation, you know, hospitality. Yeah, if you were selling to the hotel industry, you probably didn't get your your uh, quota with them this this year. But cyber was such a increase in awareness across the board. Almost all of our companies saw some sort of positive increase, either in interest or sales or product adoption. So it's been generally positive for us.
0: Yeah, it's great. I think it really brought cybersecurity to the surface, and you have these organizations like Zoom that really forced them to aggressively implement security controls when, you know, in other circumstances they may not have had that.
1: COVID made IT and cybersecurity personal for a lot of people, and when. You can see a school system kind of mess up the Zoom controls, and now you've got people putting pornography into, you know, parent-teacher meetings, or people just understanding that when IT works, nobody cares about it, right? But when you are responsible and you're starting to do things like, oh, I don't have a good Wi-Fi at the house, I've got to share it with my kids because they're on, all of a sudden, mom and dad are at the IT department. And this is really an opportunity for the cybersecurity industry to kind of be a lot more influential and and raising awareness because everybody kind of lived it. And uh, I think it's going to continue to persist in twenty twenty one. And I think it's something the cybersecurity industry can can definitely capitalize on.
0: Do you think COVID is going to change the threat landscape? I mean you start to see the vaccine cold chain attack and and those type of things starting to emerge. So just curious to know if this is going to shift sort of that landscape or is the landscape just going to naturally progress and, and COVID is going to be in the middle of that?
1: So there's, there's a lot to unpack in that. On, on one hand, if you define the cybersecurity industry as, you know, from the intelligence community, the intelligence community, both our, our, our agencies and our adversaries, they are going to continue to be able to go anywhere they want and get any type of data. Um, so that's not going to change. And cause I mean, they have satellites and they have human intelligence and they can bribe people and they can you know, they, they can literally implant, you know, bugs and, and software backdoors, you know, when you're FedExing things around the country. So they're, they're that's not gonna change. Enterprises, I, I do think we're gonna have some changes there. I mean, there's this embarrassment of cybersecurity products and technologies, and you have a security operation team, red team, blue team. You have this embarrassment of riches, and yet we're still, you know, missing things like the solar winds attacks and still talking about how information sharing you know, would, 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 would somehow solve that. The reality is, is we still need to step up our game in the enterprise. And then finally, outside of the enterprise, you know, my mom and dad, my dentist office, my car dealer, they have no idea how what, what the difference between hunting and hygiene is. And we need to change that. We need to make sure that people who are only putting a little bit of effort into cybersecurity know how easily that they can lose everything, be, be it from a nation state, or be it from maybe their competitor across the street at the other car dealership. So I want all that to change. And uh, of course, socially, we need to get more people into the cybersecurity, uh, you know, career field. We need to get more women, more African American. And uh, if we don't do that, uh, we're we're going to have a hard time, you know, solving those other three areas I talked about.
0: How do we accomplish translating the importance of that to the public?
1: So one one thing that we're trying to do there is work with. This new concept called data care, and we're trying to steal some emotional cues from the healthcare industry. And basically, we've we blogged about this at uh, at Google Attack. We've done a lot of talks and keynotes on this. But but basically, cybersecurity, as a general rule, has done a poor job attracting people because we're we're pitching it that you have to be a brain surgeon to to kind of go into the healthcare field. That's kind of how we how we pitch cybersecurity. But at the same time, cybersecurity, because we set up these experts and these technologies, the general public really sees it as cybersecurity is somebody else's problem. You ask anybody who's like not in the business, hey, what do you do for cybersecurity? They're going to say, oh, we have an IT outsource firm. We have a firewall. We have uh, uh, antivirus. You know, it's a it's, it's a thing. It's not a responsibility. So, so changing it to data care and you say, well, how do you care for the data that you have? How do you protect the data that you have, whether it's personal data or data from a restaurant customers, or that's, sort of, it instantly changes the conversation. And it makes people understand that, that there's some sort of social responsibility to, uh, to, to, to doing this. So I really want to see the industry transformed into what I call the data care industry. And I think that it will, will go a long way towards getting that social sort of awareness of just how bad things can be.
0: That's a great approach, and you can't avoid seeing the headlines. You can't avoid seeing the the news about breaches and and how much companies are getting hit, even from a financial standpoint.
1: And it's so similar to healthcare because you know you can quit smoking, you can diet, you can exercise, you can sleep, and you can die of a heart attack the next day. It's no guarantees, and it's the same thing in cybersecurity. Right? You can patch, you can do intrusion detection, have firewalls, two factor authentication, and the Russians could walk into your building, you know, the ne- the next day virtually. So you know, a lot of people they they feel overwhelmed and they don't know what to do, and and data care is a way to kind of ease into that, and 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 I think it's much more of a societal impact concept than the specific thing because no, no nobody in cyber is going to tell you that look if you follow the NIST cybersecurity framework and you set up Miter attack, yeah you can still be hacked, but but that's the reality, and it's the same thing, right? You can you can wear a mask, you can get a vaccine. And you can still catch a major disease, even even though um, you're you're doing the safe cards. It's it's a it's a numbers game.
0: Absolutely. Is there a reason that you can think of why cyber attackers always seem to be one step ahead of the defenders?
1: So the the, the reason that cyber attackers are always one step ahead of the attackers is they have time. They have time to plan and and do the attack. So if you're well resourced and you are you want to break into I really don't want to jinx anybody. Let's say you want to break into a large CRM provider, or you know, change the way. Let's say you're, you're Korea and you want to North Korea, and you want to change the way Netflix is distributing a movie. You know, you don't want, or something like that. It's just it's just math and engineering and time and and reconnaissance to to figure out where you want to go and what you want to do. So in many ways, it's just a reality that look if you're, if your job is to do this, you, you need to understand who your threat actors are and what capabilities they have. And realize that they could be, be coming for you, and that's it's it's a mindset shift that uh, that 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 folks are going through. What do you see as cybersecurity's number one myth? Oh, so cybersecurity's number one myth. Um, well, all right. So my number one myth is that you can actually measure cybersecurity. Uh, that somehow you can quantify and put a number on it, and. And models are useful. Don't get me wrong. I think I think it's great to have models, but when somebody says this is my model to measure all cyber risk, it becomes flawed very very quickly. It's 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 like measuring religion. I think everybody's personal relationship with uh, you know with God with religion. If you try to quantify that and measure it, it's 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 very similar to what we do in cybersecurity. And there's so much bias and assumptions that goes into producing that risk. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to count vulnerabilities and them into a score so i can you know maybe relatively measure organizations but to then somehow say that this one organization is more secure than another in the face of what nation states what about you know ufos with uh you know quantum computers that can uh you know do photon interference and read from my cpu right so it's it's everybody says that's that's kind of crazy talk but the reality is is these attacks that we're looking at are, are like science fiction they they are definitely coming down that pipe so you know, so that's, I think that's the biggest myth.
0: I understand you think it's really hard to quantify cybersecurity risk, but if you had to choose a framework, what would you suggest?
1: So I I've I blogged about this uh, a, a good bit. I, I want two things. I want hygiene and hunting. And if, if your hygiene is, you know, the NIST cybersecurity framework, the payment card industry framework, you know, if you're a DOD person, you know how the, the DOD does it. God bless you. I think that's great. But if you are going to rely on, you know, patching alone and, and access controls and zero trust alone, um, you're going to fail because, because people who want your data are going to come out. So you have to hunt. You have to be on the prowl for, you know, not only insiders, uh, but people who've compromised those machines and are, are, are poking around. And you have to hunt. So the, the, there's great frameworks out there in both and in the, in the hunting, uh, area as well. We, of course, you saw the Lockheed Martin, uh, you know, attack chain, uh, which turned, which didn't really turn. It's not that, but it was the precursor of what the popularity is for MITRE attack. Those things are great too. But it's this really, this mental commitment that organizations need to have. They need to have some balance of hunting and hygiene. And that's a personal decision. Uh, it, it really is based on your risk, based on your budget, based on what you're trying to protect. And you need to kind of figure that out. And, you know, when I say hygiene, maybe your hygiene is you have a separate air-gapped network. And I think that's kind of where a lot of organizations are, are, are headed because they're realizing that, you know, defense is hard and hunting is hard. If you can really lock stuff down, hunting is pretty easy. So if you have an air-gapped network and you have really, really good boundary controls over those things, that's a lot easier to kind of kind of inspect and look at versus letting every computer on the internet or, or on the network, you know, go directly to the, to the, to the, um, to the internet. So so that's what, that's what I want to say. And I'm not going to say NIST is better than PCI or, 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 or other standards, because it's all about how it's implemented and what you're, you're trying to protect. Sure.
0: And then you have, you know, your industry compliance requirements that obviously you can't avoid. And I've noticed that NIST has actually started to become more precise in their frameworks as well. You know, for ICS and and other industries that you know they're they're writing you know frameworks or white papers specifically geared towards those lines of businesses as well.
1: I think I think anybody who's implementing a framework should understand that there's debates and approaches you know with these things, and they should all also know that you know, some of these frameworks come from different places, like PCI. They don't really care about availability. They they care about loss of of, uh, of of data, loss of credit card, loss of loss of PII. But if you DOS one of their websites, so you know, if you go through PCI, you're going to see less emphasis, you know, you know, on that. At the at the same time, you know, there's these frameworks have not done a great job addressing BYOD. They have not done a good job addressing. Okay, what if I put all my stuff in in Amazon, you know, and I only have one Amazon domain, and I don't. Or, or, um uh, you know, area, and I don't, I don't have automatic failover, you know, in my, in my apps. Well, what if I put everything into, you know, a great company like Salesforce, and they go down one day? You know, I mean, we had, we had an outage last week with Google. Google was down for, for an hour, and I mean, I saw people saying, I'm rethinking my email strategy. I'm like, really? Their uptime is still better than anything you can do probably privately, but it's that lack of control that, that, that people. So, you know, a lot of times these frameworks don't take those kind of philosophical and almost religious questions into account. And people really need to understand that, you know, where these frameworks are coming before they implement them blindly. That makes complete sense.
0: Let's get into Gula Tech Adventures, GTA. Would you mind just giving us a a high level understanding of how GTA came about and and the inception of GTA?
1: Absolutely. So, Google Tech Adventures was, was named by, uh, by my wife, Cindy. We knew we wanted to establish ourselves as venture capitalists, but also not just do venture capital. So we, we launched a foundation about a month ago that's called the Google Tech Foundation. Uh, and we do a lot of, we'll just call a support of the cyber community, whether it's at the government level or at some of the think tank you know, policy levels. And to to us, this is an adventure. So so we want to invest. And we've done probably uh, about 30, 35 investments uh, in directly into companies, and we've had a couple exits, you know, already. And then we've also invested in funds. Uh, We've we've done about about seven uh, investments directly into cybersecurity funds. So all of that, we were actually kind of calling ourselves uh, cyber industrialists for, for a while, because we kind of do carry A lot of different impact in different areas, whether it's nonprofit, government, or 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 investing. Uh, But this has just been, you know, we're calling it an adventure. And um, you know, if people want to contact us for travel tips, that would sometimes we get that joke. But for the most part, we we think this is an adventure, and it's and we're certainly not done with our cybersecurity adventure. And we think almost anybody in the industry, they've been on an adventure, whether they're starting a company or starting a career or you know, just trying to, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they're a victim, you know, with their own adventure. So we, uh, we're very happy to name it that and uh, happy to get into a little bit more of either the companies or some of the nonprofits that we're working with.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. The first competitive grant program starts January 1st. Could you talk about what it focuses on? I think one of the biggest
1: lessons I learned from Tenable is and, and just doing companies in general is being very purposeful about messaging and 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 what you're what you're doing. So so we uh have been doing investments in nonprofits, grants, donations, whatever you want to call it. And we saw a big need for probably about 15, 20 different areas, whether it could be um you know getting more minorities into cybersecurity, getting better policy, enhancing public awareness. And and we said, well, we don't want to focus on just one. So, at the same time, we wanted to, to be able to focus on things and have a meaningful impact and then kind of move on to something else. So, we came up with the Gula Tech Foundation. The uh, The idea is to do a competitive grant process uh, a few times a year on very specific topics. So, the first one we're doing is a competitive grant process It's actually January 4th, which is the first Monday of 2021. Uh, we, we've got a uh, application form where the focus is going to be on any cybersecurity nonprofit that increases engagement for the African-American community. So this could be, uh, you know, research programs trying to figure out, you know, why there aren't more African-American uh, chief information security officers. You know, why aren't black kids in K in, through 12? Why aren't they going into the IT or the also be professional it could be grants or uh, scholarships uh you know specifically for african americans you know we've we've been in contact with a lot of different organizations uh we're going to be awarding uh, three grants five hundred thousand dollars three hundred thousand dollars and two hundred thousand dollars and uh our grant advisory board is not only going to help us pick the winners but when we move on to the next topic you know they're going to be very influential in picking uh picking those things
0: that's awesome
1: I'm hoping that we can be very impactful with uh and purposeful because we kind of feel, at least for this first topic, we really feel like just saying, Hey, look, you know, I've got an open job and and I really want to have an African American, you know, I don't female report. that just doesn't get it done. You have to go and be very purposeful um to you know, to black colleges, to to um, you know, to different types of professional society focused on African Americans in, in cyber and IT. So if you're not purposeful, a lot of times these connections aren't aren't really there, and that's that's why we're being so direct about about this topic and 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 what we want to do.
0: Are you able to disclose any future themes your grants may focus on?
1: We, we care very much about diversity. I, I don't think we're going to do another diversity themed one this year. We want to get into some other aspects of cybersecurity, such as technology, such as perhaps privacy what we're uh, there's a lot of open source technology that people use and you know those things need funding there's education which in and of itself is part of the diversity potential uh, opportunity to kind of kind of increase engagement there but just act getting actual good cyber uh curriculum into the hands of kids is is a big problem so there's a lot there's a lot to work to work on you know we've been volunteering with uh, elections for a good bit so uh, we just uh, did an interview with uh, ben who runs voting works? This is an open source election voting uh, thing. We we so there's there's a lot of different topics that uh, that we, uh, disinformation would be another another good one. So I'm purposely saying many many different things to not disclose the what we're doing next. Understood. I don't
0: believe there's anyone else more qualified to lead this charge than yourself to to see it through and see the success and and see you change the landscape of you know the cybersecurity workforce.
1: I think that's great. You're very kind. And I would I would tell anybody who's thinking about it, it's pretty easy to like look at the the, the, the depth of the problem and think you can't have an impact. And it's also like, if you look at what, um, you know, Jeff Bezos, his ex-wife's doing, she's giving away like a billion dollars a month or, or something like that. I mean, Zuckerberg gave $400 million just to counties who needed help. So, you know, sometimes you people look at like, well, we look at that and we're like, oh, wow, I really hope our million dollar you know, grants can have an impact. But what we find is that there's other people who wanna give maybe $100,000 or 50,000 and they don't think it's impactful. Everything you can do, no matter how big or how small, it's very impactful to somebody who's gotta find your passion and, uh, and, and, and don't be afraid to help.
0: So where could our listeners go to get more information about this? Could you go into a little bit about what the application process is and, and sort of what organizations
1: are in scope? So our our website's gula.tech. So that's G-U-L-A. Uh, dot T-E-C-H. And the foundation link is at the very top of the page. There's uh, we're only asking six really pieces of information from from the grant uh, applicants. So the first is just the basics: Are you a nonprofit? What's your what's your number? Your EIN number? Where are you located? Website? You know that kind of stuff. But then the other questions are those same five questions that we ask entrepreneurs: What problem do you solve? How do you solve it? All the way to what your vision of success is. Now, these questions are tailored for our our grant process for the increasing African American engagement in cybersecurity. So we want to know very specifically what part of that problem does somebody try to solve? How do they solve it? You know, if they're if they are you know giving grants to uh, or scholarships to let's just say like African American women, we've we've seen some programs like that. How many have you given? What's the result of that? You know, what kind of impact uh, is it have? Um, whereas other, you know, things are a little bit more either like professional societies or academic research in this in this area. We want those questions answered, and then our grant advisory board, which is about thirty folks, uh, they are going to look at the answers, and we're going to pick you know the top top three folks. So the uh, grant form, uh, we tried really hard to make this easy. The the questions themselves are limited to fifteen hundred words. Uh, we're not trying to create a lot of work for people. We're trying to create a lot of opportunity for them to uh, apply. We're using, you know, an automated system on the back end, Wufu, which is a very common, you know, application for um, collecting forms and surveys. And uh, that form goes live January 4th.
0: I'm looking forward to seeing this roll out and seeing the program develop. I'm very excited about it. So I am going to switch gears here just for a moment. You're based in Columbia, Maryland. Is that correct?
1: That is correct, the center of the cybersecurity universe. A lot of people think it's in Silicon Valley, but it's actually um, in Columbia, Maryland.
0: I'm curious to know if someone were to come in from outside of the area, maybe to a conference or to visit a client, would you be able to recommend a good bar in your area? What comes to mind?
1: Um, So, you know, Maryland has got a lot of really, really good places to go. So you've you've got Baltimore, you know, and, and you can't talk about, uh, you know, Maryland without being, you know, realizing that DC is right there. Uh, it's not technically in Maryland. And, uh, you've got Annapolis and there's a lot of really, really good, uh, you know, craft breweries around here. Um, there's also been a lot of distilleries. Uh, so there's a couple, couple good, uh, so just north of Columbia in, uh, in Sykesville is, um, they, uh, the Sykesville, uh, distillery. They have something called Bigfoot Bourbon, which is pretty good. Uh, down towards um, southern Maryland, there's a a uh, the tobacco farm uh, distillery where they uh, they make some some bourbons and some um, some rums as as well. And then also, if you're you know just kind of doing the tourist thing, uh, Guinness actually has a brewery right here in in Maryland, uh, just on the southwest side of uh, of Baltimore. You can get their blonde ale. You know, it's the only Guinness you know kind of pub here in uh, in the states where they they where they make it. And then if you're actually in Columbia, which was your, your question, you know, Victoria's Gastropub has just a great selection of uh, craft bourbons and, and beer in the, in the area. So hopefully people would enjoy any of, that, any of those things.
0: Yeah, I definitely recommend that, that Guinness Brewery. I've been there several times and it's, it's phenomenal. So when you visit a bar or you go, go to a brewery, what's your poison? What's, what's your favorite drink at the moment?
1: Oh, I like, um, you know, all sorts of different things that go with cigars. So, you know, whiskeys, burdens, you know, and I don't, I don't drink just one thing. Uh, I like to have a, everything's in moderation. You know, I like variety. So, um, you know, I get a lot of the different, uh, if I'm going to a bar and it's fancy, you know, fancy drink time, I get like an old fashioned, uh, okay. Get, get something, get something like that. I, I kind of like if you're going to go to a bar and, and kind of do it up and, they're gonna do they're gonna smoke it for you, you know, and maybe maybe put some um you know some rosemary, you know, in 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 the drink, that that kind of stuff. I do enjoy uh that. And um but I'm usually if we're gonna do bourbons and, and whiskeys and talk cybersecurity, we're probably gonna be getting a cigar in, in, in there as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm in line with you. That's that's sort of my go-to is 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 bourbon. Uh the Bigfoot bourbon, I gotta check that out now because you know, Bigfoot bourbon, it sounds like it's hard to find, right? And, and you just gave him the secret on, on where to find Bigfoot. So. Yeah.
1: And the, it's blurry, you know, when you, when you, when you get the <laughs> bottle. So, uh, that, that's, that's yeah. the seems like Phil Distillery does a, a lemon cello. And so that's like, uh, you know, lemon infused, uh, you know, vodka. And, uh, you just put a little splash of that in your, in your bourbon, you get a really, it's almost like a craft, uh, craft drink at that point.
0: From the risk management perspective, could you name the biggest vulnerability you tend to notice in bars?
1: Wi-Fi. Ah, I, I, um, you know, I can still remember I had an I had an uncle. We were at a bar, and he had like McAfee mobile protection on his phone, and he's like, "Oh, you know, it's saying I shouldn't connect to this Wi-Fi because it's it's uh, it's it's not secured." And and I kind of told him, was "Like, well, if it was secured, you know, how do you know that the guy behind it, you know, it d- isn't recording anything, everything, anyway?" You know, and it was just kind of a telling kind of moment. But, you know, Wi-Fi is Wi-Fi is a big deal. Everybody kind of trusts, you know, what they what they see. And yeah, I just think it's really tough for the, the general public to be an ISP because that's really what you're doing. And and uh, so that, that, that Wi-Fi is a big, a uh, big, big attack vector for, for other people to, you know, look at your data and your phone. Uh, same thing, Bluetooth. You know, a lot of times I think people don't realize how easily you can, you know, get information on somebody else just by doing the Bluetooth, um, you know, snipping. And, uh, you know, so it's, that's not really the fault of the bar. And one of the cool, cooler things is when people bring their own remote controls into bars and change the channel, I've seen people like turn off Fox News or turn on Fox News, depending on where you're at, you know, and that's, that's always fun.
0: You're from out of town, you need your game on, right? You Got to get it on the TV somehow.
1: That's right. Uh, that's right. Probably the most sophisticated ones where people airplay from their phone, they realize that there's a there's a uh, a Mac and I've seen people try to do that, which is you got know, to, you got to join got to figure out the Apple ID and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's been done.
0: Thinking like an attacker, you know, if you want, you know, easy targets that may, you know, I'm not, you know, a, a proponent yeah, and for this in so any way, but you know what I mean?
1: Bar security point of view, you know, I, I think a lot of them have cameras, but then the question is, is, you know, what's the state of the art on those cameras are, are, is, is somebody watching that 24 uh, seven? Is it, a, is it an AI who's going to, you know, flag something and then a human's going to look at it? What's, what's the, what's the deterrent there? And, and, um, you know, I, I, you know, I do for people who are concerned about, you know, being video, um, you're going to get a lot of that in, in, in these bars.
0: I just heard it's last call here. So I have one more question for you. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar, what would the name be and what would your signature
1: drink be called? Holy cow. Um, I, if I was going to open a cybersecurity that's a great question. If I was going to open a cybersecurity themed bar. I would probably have to go with some sort of like, you know, binary hex double meaning in, in the name. So like, you know, sometimes with hex codes, you call things uh, Fox, Fox, you know, for FF, that kind of thing. So I'd probably call it like, um, Zero X Fox Fox 01, just something something that that and pe- people call it Fox, you know, and they, maybe that's maybe maybe Cyber Fox, but try to try to get some of that out there. I would probably then do a drink. I would probably call. Um, I would have to probably use products from our past, so I'd probably have a Dragon drink, a Nessus drink, and uh, maybe like a Tenable drink. They'd all be bourbon based. They'd all be um, have different different levels of uh, of, of stuff. But uh, probably a uh, maybe like a Manhattan or even uh, like a Negroni. Those are, those are some of the drinks I've been making lately. So that's what's coming to mind.
0: That sounds like my type of bar. And please build it in Columbia or close to me because uh, I feel like I'll be a regular there.
1: It's got to get a better name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. It's very niche and uh, y- you know who's walking in. Could you explain to us really quick... You mentioned the Gula Tech website, but is there any other website or link you can direct us to? And also, what is your online footprint? How can our listeners keep in tune with what you're doing?
1: So we put everything at gula.tech. So we have a blog, we have a podcast, we talk about all of our companies. Uh, we recently just, for example, had uh, White Ops was, uh, had, had, a, had an acquisition by Goldman Sachs and, and a couple other ventures. Uh, that's, that's all, all that information is up there. I'm pretty, uh, pretty active on LinkedIn. I I will post stuff to, to Facebook and, uh, and Twitter, uh, Twitter, I find, you know, a little bit harder to have a conversation. So I try to just kind of, you know, either support support our companies who are on there a lot and whatnot, but I'm Ron Gula on Twitter, Ron Gula at LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, the website again is gula.tech, gulatalk.tech. Excellent.
0: Thanks again, Ron. It was great speaking with you.
1: Thank you very much for the opportunity. And I look forward to having a glass of, uh, dragon bourbon with you at some point. I'll be there. Barcode patrons.
0: If you enjoyed this episode and want an easy way to support the podcast, please leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you're not on a Mac or iPhone, just visit Podcast.com slash reviews. I appreciate all the support. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.